first of all, thank you, thank you for coming. All right, I'm extremely nervous up here. No matter how many times you do it, you still that those that nerve kicks in. And I'm getting uh, back in the back where I have to have the mic up here. Okay, but anyway, I'm super nervous. But here we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for the blessed opportunity to share what you've taught me over the last two years, Father. I pray that this would minister to some ladies out there, Father. And matter of fact, I pray that we will all walk away just changed and desiring to know you more, Father. So, Father, I ask that you would bless this time, that you would help me to deliver your message in a way that um, the ladies can receive it. And Father, if there's anything in my notes that is not of you, Lord, I give you the freedom to override it and put me back on the right path. So Father, to you be the glory. In your name we pray, amen. All righty. Okay. Because this is the new year, I felt like we needed to start fresh, okay? And most of us start the new year off with new year, new me. People everywhere make resolutions for the new year. I Googled the top 10 new resolutions and new year's resolutions and they were exercise more. I've been there. Lose weight more, I've been there too. <laughs> Get organized, I can keep going on. Uh, or learn a new skill. Well, we make all these different resolutions. And goals are not bad in itself. They're bad when we leave, when God is not in the forefront of that goal. Okay? I've been guilty of making goals and leaving Jesus out of what I thought would be good for my life. I don't know how many times I said, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to exercise more. And after a couple of weeks, I'm back to the same old thing. So I don't make those kind of resolutions anymore. However, last year, I decided I was looking too old. <laughs> so in the incoming year, I decided I wanted to be a youthful grandma. <laughs> and I don't know why thinking gray hair for me was a bad thing, okay? when scripture says clearly that gray hair is the crown of your glory, okay? <laughs> and it's gained by righteousness or righteous life. But something so innocent like that can become so self-centered. That was all self. I never said, okay, Lord, should I let it go gray or anything like that? I just determined that's not the way I want to be. Setting goals can be a way of striving towards something significant and meaningful in our life. As Christians, our life is already meaningful because we belong to Jesus. Because, because of him, we have worth. We're no longer searching for a place to belong or trying a new thing to be accepted or place those unreal expectations on ourselves. God has a part for the world, and he has a part, a part of you being in it. Sometimes what is next in the new year 
it's not simply what God wants us to do next. It says walking by faith in what he's already called us to and who we are in Christ. The Bible says we are a new creation created for good works. In Ephesians 2.10, we see that. We no longer live without a purpose. God created us and saved us, and he has a detailed plan for our lives. God's personal plan for you will probably not be the same as your neighbor next to you. I remember what Esther said last Titus 2, and she said, you know what? I, it wasn't my plan to quit work and take care of my mom. I would have never envisioned that for my life, but it was God's plan. We can't fix ourselves or improve ourselves apart from Jesus. God does what's necessary in our life to produce the good works that have already been laid before us. So to make a new year resolution without God is pointless. Psalms 127 one said, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands guard in vain. It can be extremely difficult when you want a thing or things to go your way or your desires fulfilled, fulfilled and God is saying, no, I don't want that for you. Oftentimes, we don't want to accept his will or surrender to what he has for us. We come, become bitter and we become angry. Many of you guys know, and I hate it if I'm repeating myself, that when I knew the Lord was um, taking my hubby home, <clears throat> I began to tape his voice. Okay? And the reason why I'm going to bring this up now, because the Lord has used this in my life to refine me. So I began to tape his voice because I wanted to re remember what it sounded like, first of all. And then I wanted to remember, uh, you know, what he said. The other day I listened to one of the conversations. And when I listened to the conversation, the Lord just, so this is where my heart is, where it's coming from. And the, my husband was saying, he said it just like this. He said, Vanessa, it's going to be hard, but you have to accept God's will for me. Like many of us, we don't want to hear those things, especially those hard things. We, you know, yeah, we don't want to hear those things, but that was part of God's plan for his life and mine. I don't know why I was in such disbelief when scripture tells us it's a time to be born and it's a time to die. But I guess I felt like that wasn't going to be me. We see the whole, see the whole Bible is truth and we can't pick and choose which part we want to hang on to. What my husband said to me was truth but I didn't want to accept it. When I think about that, after that conversation with him, I made a resolution. It wasn't in the beginning of the year. I made a resolution that, you know what? This ain't gonna happen. I'm gonna take him to the best doctor out there. 
and here I go dragging him all over the place. I'm going to cook better. And not only am I going to cook every day, it's going to be healthy food. I also said, the doctor says he needs to exercise. I'm going to walk with him. We're going to get out there and we're going to walk. All the time, I'm hoping the outcome would be different. I didn't want to accept God's will for me or my husband. After the Lord took my husband to be home with him, I was having this tug of war going inside of me. I wanted him here. Simple. Our marriage had just begun to start model, model God's love for the church. These are the good times, you know. And to me, I thought, this doesn't seem fair. I became a person that was complaining. I found myself complaining. I was a person that was hard to deal with because I was full of so much anger and bitterness or whatever you want to call it. I was on that road, that poor me road. Everything was about Vanessa and how her world has just crumbled. Granted, it did crumble, but it was so self-focused. I was so self-focused. Don't get me wrong. There's a time to grieve, but, there's, but we can grieve well. God's grace will see us to the other side, but even, even if your goal has God's grace will see us over, but God has to be in the midst of that grief. And I didn't do that. You might have lost a loved one, but that you might not have lost a loved one, but the same principle applies in every situation. God has to be in the forefront of everything you go on. We have to accept God's will for our lives. After wrestling with this for weeks, maybe a couple of months, maybe even longer, I don't remember, I had to stop and ask myself, Vanessa, do you really believe God is good all the time? I replied, yes. Then I had to say, why are you acting like that? You can grieve well. You can grieve. You can cry. You can do all that stuff. But that can't come to the point that it rocks me from my sure foundation. I had to go back to the basics. I had, go, had to go back to the builder and make, my, make sure that my foundation was solid and no cracks were forming. So the Lord took me back to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, and it says, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all their heart, with all thy soul, and with all their mind. Jesus holds this commandment as the foundation by which we build. If we do not first give ourselves entirely to Jesus' heart, soul, and mind, our structure will be off. Our love of God must be sincere, not in word and in tongue only. Jesus loves over us. 
should change every faucet of our lives and lifestyle. Loving God with your mind means you have to love him unconditionally because we know that he's worthy of love. Even when we don't even feel like it, you have to love the Lord. Loving God with your soul means to love him to eternity. When our heart stops beating, our soul keeps living, God wants our relationship with him to be everlasting. One of the things that makes us gratitude is the key to loving God with all your soul. We can't love God with all our soul if we've lost our gratitude for him and what he's done for us. That's what happened to me. At that time, I couldn't find anything to be thankful for. I was blinded by my grief and my desire. I failed to see that I still had a life that God could bless, and I had so many things to be thankful for. You know, I, when, I, when the Lord stopped me and I started thinking about that, you know, I had almost 41 years with my husband. That's a blessing. Some people don't get that. I was able to tape some of our conversations so I can remember his voice. So many people didn't get that. Those were all gifts from the Lord that I failed to see. I God's love for me, I didn't see it. His protection, his provision, and the list goes on and on. But I was just, you know what? I wanted my husband back. You know what? That's the bottom line. And I was swallowed up in that. Not saying that's a bad thing. It's just the way you handle it. I want us to turn to Micah 6 for a moment. Let me set the stage for you on this. Micah is pitching, picturing a courtroom. God is the judge. The jury is God's creation, his mountains, his hills, and his sheer foundation. And the defendant is Israel. And it starts off and it says, the court was called to order. Here, 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 here. The court is in section. Pay attention to what I'm going to say. That's how it starts, okay? God goes first and he lays out his offenses against them, Israel. If you look at Michael, Micah, Micah 6, it starts off with, not, no, I'm sorry, Michael 6, 3. It starts off with, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I worried you? Testify against me. Tell me. That's how he starts it off. And I felt like that was the Lord was saying to me. What have I done to you? Testify against me. Then he goes on to list the things that God had done for them. He brought them out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. I sent Moses and Aaron and Myron to mirror, to guide you. Don't you remember when King Balak or Moab tried to have you cursed? How Baham, Lamb, blessed you instead? Remember your journey to Arcadia? 
grove to Gilgal, I think it is. He said, I have done all this so you can see my righteousness and my faithfulness. I have only done good to you. I have only done good to you. I can imagine this scene and when he's saying, he's even saying, you know what? Why do you live your life like that? I, aren't I your God? Haven't I been faithful to you? Don't I protect you from your enemies? Why aren't you loyal to me? Why? Why? Tell me. I have done nothing to you. You know, he had done nothing. He had been faithful to us. I, uh, Israel could never answer that question because God had done nothing to him. Couldn't have. If God was to ask you today, what have I done to you? How would you reply? Are we dibbling and dabbing and sin that we know is against his word? How, how would we reply? When we fail to remember all the things God has done for us, we take God's gift for granted. We become self-centered and we even develop this entitlement attitude. When this ha happens, we're heading toward trouble. Our foundation was starting to crack. Our foundation is starting to crack. Israel had forgotten all the things God had done for them and the benefits of following him. Even though they were unfaithful and disobedient, God continued to be kind to them. Deuteronomy 4, 6 through 9 is from the Life Application Bible, and it says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you go to bed, when you get up. Tie them to your hand. Wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. See, before that, that same commandment and Matthew was given. God is saying, commanded them to love him with all his heart, soul, and mind. We've got to do that. That's where it begins. Colossians 3.16 tells us, let the word of God dwell in us richly. And when we do that, Deuteronomy gives us a, a promise, and that's 12.28. Be careful to obey all the commands so that all will go well with you and your children because you will be doing what is good and pleasing to the Lord your God. And, G and Jesus states in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. And I believe that's what Israel was, that's what Israel was trying to do. It's impossible to love God perfectly, but we can strive to be to be better every day, better than what we were yesterday, better than the day before. We can purpose in our hearts to love and obey him and not get caught up in the things of the world. When we stand before our Lord, we want a clean heart and clean hands. Let's go back to Micah chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7. God had laid out his offenses against Israel and his complaints against them. And we still got this courtroom set setting. So now we've got 
Israel coming up, okay? And they start off by immediately defending themselves. They start with six, verse six. With what shall I come before the Lord? David Gusick said that they were asked, they asked that question out of bitterness and resentment. In a sense, they were saying, just what do you want? What do you want from me? Just tell me, what do you want? So then they go on. They said, bow myself before the my high God. Shall I come before them with burnt offering, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, ten thousand river of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? You can envision Israel just yelling at that, yelling in this courtroom. You are asking too much of me. Nothing I do for you is good enough. You are being unreasonable. See what had happened with Israel. Israel was prospering, prospering economically, but they were spiritually dead. They were mingling with the Canaanites, and their ways were rubbing off on Israel. They were treating people unjust. They were into idolatry. They had forgotten their personal relationship with God and had turned away from him. See, we can justify pretty much anything. And I, they figured, oh, well, we're doing good. You know what? We're prospering. God's blessing us. You know what? No need to worry. But you know what? Their heart was spiritually dead. You know, they did not want to stop mingling with their friends. Even though it was taking them down a dark road, they didn't want to do it. The answer to Israel's question went much deeper than any re religious ritual that were required. God wasn't looking at the offering or the sacrifice. He was looking at their hearts. See, this goes, the outer work, outward works don't matter. The heart has to be right. Israel needed a heart change, and sometimes we do, too. As Christians, it's very easy to get drawn into religious demonstrations like serving and thinking these are the things God desires and what pleases him. Serving God comes out of a heart and a love for him. We can, we can, we can't. We can be serving our Lord and our heart be so far from him. We will follow commandments that are easy to do. And this one's easy to me, I think. Don't forget the assembling of God or give our tithes and our offering. Those are easy. You know, they're not costing us anything. We're going to give that. But, but when it comes to loving our neighbor as ourselves, we don't want to do that. This is the second greatest commandment before, right after loving God. He hits the hit you with this. Love it, you know, but we don't want to do it. This, is, this loving God, loving your neighbors like you love us yourself doesn't mean that you must love yourself before you can love anyone else. It means that in the same way we take care of ourselves and, and our concerns about our interests, we should take care of our neighbors' concerns and their interests. We can't, we can't go 
we, no, no, wait a minute. We can't say that we're loving our neighbor when we don't want to forgive them. That's not okay. You can't harbor bitterness and gossip about your sister because she offended you. That's just not okay. That is sin. God is looking for people that God's not looking for people that are part of the problem. He's looking, he's look, wait a minute, let me get, sorry. God is not looking for people that look the part, but people that are the part. There we go. Obeying God completely is complete, completely is important, is important that sacrifice and offering. Let's go back to Micah 6, 8. And here we go. Okay, so Israel pleaded their case, and God gets up again, and he says, hey, I've shown you. Oh, man, I've shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. These three things, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, is a call to action. This matters because they are a mark of who we are. This scripture is right up there with John 13, 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. To act justly. What does that mean? It's to be fair in all that you do, to be honest and tell the truth, regardless of the consequences. It means to live with a sense of right and wrong. You treat every person equally. You hold them to the same standard and not apply a different system of fairness to one person and not the other. You will do what is morally right even when it's not socially popular. That's what justice is. To love mercy means you will respond in the situation that God would. You will hold his standard on earth and view every situation through his lens. It means you will love people the way he loved them, care for people the way he cared for them, especially those who are less fortunate. We will be quick to forgive and not allow bitterness, bitterness to form in our hearts. When in doubt, we would ask ourselves this question. What would Jesus do if he was in that situation? And the third thing he commands us to do is to walk humbly with our God. Means you are not only careful about your walk, but you recognize your position is a result of God's grace and nothing else. Your walk with God should cause you to increase in humility not become puffed up or become arrogant. And when I was thinking about walking with God, I thought about Adam and Eve, how they walked with God in the cool of the day. You know what? God loves for us to walk with him. He did back then, and he still does today. We are called ambassadors. We represent him on earth. The, wor the world is watching us if we're claiming to be a Christian. I remember one of the things that my husband used to really hate is when people would have 
bumper stickers on their car with the fish. You remember how they used to, it was real popular? And then you will go by them or they'll be yelling at the person out the car or cussing them out. And my, that would just really make my husband mad. He said, if they're gonna be acting like that, they need to take off the bumper sticker. And you know what, I agree 100%. One of the ways your character is dis displayed is not, and how, it's not how you treat who you dis, one of the ways your character is displayed is how you treat a person you disagree with. How you treat people who you can't, yeah, who, how you treat people that can't give you anything back in return. That's where you, your character will be displayed. Jesus talks about that it's easy to love those who love you back. Loving someone back that loves you doesn't display your character. That's easy. But what about those people that are difficult to de deal with? What about those people that don't have anything to give us? What about them? How do we treat them? Are we loving to them? Are we willing to give them our seat to sit down? Or if pastor comes in the room, or you jump up and, oh, yeah, I was serving. What about that? What about that? That's hypocrisy. We all are equal. We all should be treated equally. It goes back to what he's saying. Act justly. You have to represent Christ right. Even when you don't even think people are looking, they're looking. I remember back in the day when Tamara was little, she came to, well, she was a teenager. She came to church and she had on a, a blouse and it had um, the the sleeves were sheer. It was modest, it was sheer. And one of the ladies came to me and said, oh, you let your daughter wear that, so I'm sure I, it's okay for my daughter to wear it. And I'm like, man, how are you watching me so closely? But she was. Or a lady came to Jeanette and said, I know how much you pay for that jacket. People watch even when you don't even know they're watching. And what are they seeing? Are they seeing us loving God with all our heart? Are they seeing us complaining? Are they seeing us yelling? What are they seeing? The real challenge comes in is we can, is when you love those, when you can love those that don't love you back. When we can truly love the unlovable, you are fulfilling God's second commandment to love others as yourself. You will act justly, you will love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Love ties all this together. It begins with the love that God had for us, it moves to the love that we give him, and then it just branches out. That's the way it goes, out. In closing, as I shared where I was with my grief and how I had all those cracks beginning to form in my foundation, the challenge to you guys today, examine your hearts. See if there's anything there that can cause a crack. If it is, get rid of it. Our goal is to love God with our heart, soul, and mind totally surrender every ounce of your being.
deed to him. And once you do that, you're going to walk it. You're going to, you know what? It's going to, it won't take away the pain. I'm not going to promise that because it's not going to do it. But it's going to make the pain bearable because you're holding on to your rock, your sure foundation. You know he means you good and not harm. You know what he's promised to do. He's promised to be a husband to the ones that don't have a husband. He's promised to take care of the widows or the orphans. He's promised that. And to my shame, you know what? This Going through what I went through was the worst thing I ever experienced in my life. Absolutely worst. And I didn't know, I didn't handle it well. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I did not handle it well. But, and part of it is part of the process. But guys, we can't forget what God has done. We have to remember his faithfulness. He will get us to the other side. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He loves us. He means us good regardless what happens. we got to keep that in the forefront of our mind. And a couple of things I want you to remember when you close in all this. Short-term memory and lack of thankfulness will cause you to miss out on seeing God's present provision. You miss it. You miss all his blessings. You miss everything. It took me a while to go back and actually see that because I didn't see it. Obedience to God is better than sacrifice. It is loving God with all your heart and all your soul that produces the genuine faith to do the things God requires of us, to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. And as the new year begins, let's begin, let's build on what God has already called us to. He will enable us to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness, God, and I thank you, Lord, that um, you taught me some valuable lessons in the midst of my grief, Father. And I pray, Father, that if there's anybody struggling out there, Lord, with anything, Lord, whether it be a loss of a loved one, Lord, whether it's finances, whatever it is, God, I pray that they would totally surrender it all to you today, that they would know, God, that you mean them good and not harm, and, Father, that your ways are the best for them. So, God, we just give you the rest of this evening, and we pray, God, that you would be glorified. In your son's name we pray. Amen.